following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. The sluggard says, There is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I'm Rob Spikestra. I am a headmaster at Morning Star Academy. I'm also uh, a member at uh, Sacred City Davenport, an elder in training. And so it's my privilege to come to you this morning and to bring God's word. And hopefully, if you weren't asleep, uh, you might uh, catch on to what the theme is about, and it's about uh, sluggard. Well, um, congratulations. You got up this morning, and you got in the car, and here you are. Some bonus for those who possibly ate some breakfast. Nice job for you. So this message isn't for you. Well, at least that's what we're tempted to uh, think uh, this morning, a message about the sluggard, um, that it doesn't really apply to your life or to my life. We're here this morning. We got out of bed. We did what we needed to do to get here. But matter of fact, when I say the word sluggard, um, probably what we've already done is we've created a mental image of what a sluggard looks like. And it's not you. My mental image is this. It's a 31-year-old. It's 2.23 p.m. Uh, He's there on the couch. He is lounging, bathrobe half open, wearing gray gym shorts, 
no shirt, two-day-old stubble, hair askew, potato chip, bag in lap, chip crumbs cascading over the, the couch like a waterfall that has been stilled for the moment, video game controller in hand, eyes staring seriously at something just over my shoulder. Yeah, a video screen. A video screen playing, playing some kind of video game. Now, since that's not me, and that's not you, I think what we are tempted to do is think that we can ignore these verses about the sluggard. You are tempted this morning, and I've already planted that seed in my congratulations uh, to you, to think that perhaps the next 25 or 30 uh, minutes is a time to be endured, or maybe at best to find a few nuggets of truth or principles that you can share with a sluggard that you know. But if we think this way, we have failed to take serious the account of the fall described for us in Genesis chapter 3, where the pervasiveness of sin and how it has affected our understanding of an attitude toward the good gift of work given to humanity before the fall. In Davenport, I think um, sometime in late spring or early, early summer, we heard a message uh, on the gospel and our work. Perhaps you are in that same, in that same mode at some time. Yeah, during that time, we were reminded that a third of our life is spent working in making a living, providing for our families. So the focus of that message was on how the gospel affects how we make money. But today's message asks us to think beyond uh, being financial providers. We need to be thinking this morning about our identities in Christ. See, we believe here at Sacred City that action follows being. Therefore, we define ourselves not by what we do, but who we are in Christ. At Sacred City, we believe the gospel gives us four main identities. Family, missionaries, servants, and learners. And as we look at the principles from Proverbs, we need to be thinking in terms of these identities. Identities that cause us to be fully uh, human authentic human beings. So here's what we do know the scripture tells us, and that is that we are all lazy and sluggish in some way. And that laziness or sluggishness, unrecognized or not repented from, will destroy some aspect of your humanity or perhaps all of your humanity. But here's the main point. Christ worked to save us from our sluggish, destructive self. There's going to be four questions I want to answer this morning. First, what should our attitude be toward work? Secondly, what is a fool? Thirdly, 
particularly what is a sluggard, and then fourthly, how is Christ our Savior from our sluggish, destructive self? So let's pray for God's help. Father, we, uh, we come this morning and Scripture is clear that as you look down from heaven, Psalm 53 reminds us that as you look upon humanity, there is not one who seeks you. There is not one who uh, longs for you. But rather, Father, we are born um, selfish and not looking for truth but rather looking for our own way. And so, Father, we come this morning recognizing that it's simple and easy for us to simply apply these principles to someone else, but not to ourselves. And so we are in need of you. We are fools, Father, in need again this morning of a Savior who will help us to take what your word has for us and apply it into our lives. And so, Father, our prayer is is that your word would be heard and anything that is of mine would be forgotten. Everything of yours be remembered. And, Father, we pray you'd work it out in our lives. Help us to see how Christ is our Savior once again this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen. What should our attitude be toward work? Well, we cannot fully appreciate laziness or sluggishness apart from understanding what God's word says about this good gift of work. So when we think, so when we think about the Proverbs, the first thing we think of is we think of these simple, terse, uh, two-sentence uh, phrases that are easy to be memorized, whether there be com- contrasts or comparisons within them. But interestingly enough, as you come to the book of Proverbs, it actually starts with ten speeches. They are ten speeches from a father to his son. And so in the scripture reading we had there, the first two were up from these, from, these, uh, from these speeches. And I wanted to turn to the second one, that is Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. So in your Bibles, uh, turn there. Proverbs chapter 8. And look at verse 22. This is where we began. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Verse 23, ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the fountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. And before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. And when he drew a circle in the face of the deep, And when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of God man. Wisdom was present at the creation of the world. The father wants his son to remember to order his life around this creation story because the world was created in a particular way with wisdom. And that there is a spiritual, physical, moral, social order. And in this order was work. 
The, the gospel informs a particular attitude we are ha- to have towards work. First, work is not a curse to be avoided. Work is good. God is the original worker. Look that back there at verse 22. It says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His work. The first of his acts of old. He created space and time, heaven and earth. Verse 23. Ages ago I I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. It is God who first got his hands dirty and took some dust and began to form it into a man and breathe into that man, brought breath into that human individual, brought the breath of life. Verse 30, I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of of man. It is God who brings order out of chaos. Fruitfulness out of fruitlessness. Acts for the good of humanity and is not selfish. He works consistently, but not constantly. And so he established a weekly rhythm so that the God who never slumbers nor sleeps on the seventh day, he rests. In other words, he sets a rhythm to remind his creation that work is not everything. It is not a curse to be avoided, and because it is not everything, the second attitude is that work is not an idol to be worshipped. See, the the beauty of the God-given act of rest is that it helps us to answer this question. Am I worshiping my work? If I find it really hard to rest, to enjoy God, to enjoy His creation, to enjoy the relationships He has given, then I'm probably worshiping my work. So two attitudes as we think about laziness. Work is not a curse to be avoided and work is not an idol to be worshipped. But we are going to see in the next question, the fall, the introduction of sin into our world has changed everything. But don't forget, Christ worked in order to save us from our sluggish, destructive self. So, what is a fool? What is a fool? A sluggard is a particular type of fool, so we need to know what a fool is. Uh, Tim Keller, in his work in the Proverbs, um, provides a working definition of a fool that is helpful as we are delving into the depths of these particular types of fools, the simpleton or the, uh, the scoffer or today the, the sluggard, he says a fool is someone who is out of touch with reality and should know better. 
Now, why these two rails uh, which the definition must travel? Well, I want you to think about this simple illustration. Uh, A a five-year-old is roasting a marshmallow for the very first time on his own. Now, he's watched mom and dad do it before, but today is the day in which he's going to roast it for himself. And so they give him a straightened coat hanger, and they're around the campfire, and and dad and mom overseeing the process. The marshmallow gets roasted. And mom gets the graham cracker and the chocolate ready to receive that marshmallow. And all goes well. And the marshmallow slips slips into that graham cracker sandwich. But dad looks away just for a moment. And the five-year-old proceeds to grab the coat hanger near the business end of the hanger, not knowing that the black metal, which looks cool, is very hot. And he burns his hand. What looked cool is hot. He is out of touch with reality. But we wouldn't call the five-year-old a fool because he probably wouldn't have known that. Uh, It's the first time he's actually done it on his own. We wouldn't expect him to know better. But now if he is a 25-year-old and he has had one too many and he grabs the hot end of the poker, of the coat hanger, he is out of touch with reality. The black end that looks cool is truly hot and he should know better. Fools are those who are out of touch with reality and they should know better out of touch of reality. There are basic, two basic realities uh, that we must grasp and measure life by if we are going to avoid foolishness or avoid uh, making a foolish decision. Or putting it positively, uh, there are two basic realities that we must grasp and measure life by if we are going to be people of wisdom. A fool is one who is out of touch with the reality that... The universe is ordered. There there is a physical, social, moral, and spiritual order to the world. There is a givenness about the world. There are just some givens that if we are going to be wise, we need to grasp and measure our life around, around those givens. The physical order is the easiest to illustrate. There's a whole YouTube channel, Fail Army, that is dedicated to people who failed to recognize the physical order of the universe. And so their friends record their fails on bikes, trampolines, skateboards, cars, on tables, nunchucks, and the list goes on. I, I appreciate uh, Phil Army's describing their noble cause of compiling these fells. The YouTube channel description goes like this. Every success begins with a failure. Fail Army is for people who go out and try. They laugh in the face of failures and don't take themselves too seriously. Of which a number of them probably wish they had taken physical realities of their soft body parts meeting solid objects more seriously. <laughs> Fail army, or maybe we call them fool army. For a lot of them should know better. The physical is ordered. 
so is the social. We are made for community. There's also a moral order. When restraints are let go, there is moral chaos. And so there is a spiritual order so that even people who do not embrace any kind of affiliation with a church recognize a spiritual aspect to life. Barna in April of 2017 found that there is a significant group of people who do not claim any faith at all, but say they are spiritual. 12% identify themselves as atheists or agnostics, that is, People that believe that God exists but not in any way involved in the world or, of course, not atheists who doesn't believe that God is even present. And yet they would say, I'm spiritual. There's a sense of spiritual order. To be authentically human, you must recognize that there is a physical, moral, social, and spiritual reality and order. And at the center of all that reality is God. Which is why the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So if we, we take that simple definition of the fear of the Lord being that God is at the focus, that God is at the center of one's life, you can begin to see that if you do that, you're on the way towards wisdom. You're recognizing a spiritual reality, that there is a spiritual order and that God is there and he is the one who's at the center of it all. But there is a second fact that we must grasp and measure life by if we're going to grow in wisdom, and it's this. The world has fallen, and it is, and you are, broken. If we're going to be wise, that is a reality that we need to, be, we need to grasp. God said to Adam, Genesis 3, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it brings forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. But work still has its original dignity. Humanity still has its mandate to bring order out of chaos fruitfulness out of a fruitless situation, to be benevolent to its community and not selfish, to be consistent in work but not constant. Still called to be that to that original mandate, but now it's really difficult. So that to be out of touch with reality is to be foolish. And we should know better. Psalm 19, that's the book right before uh, Proverbs. Psalm 19, uh, turn in your Bibles there and look at uh, verses 1 through 6. Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, and nor are there words whose voice is not heard. 
Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs, to, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. To see the sun is to see the glory of God. Or turn to Romans, the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Well, where, Paul? Where has God shown himself to us? Well, look at verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their, look at their, foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Rather than recognizing the God-given order and recognizing our brokenness, claiming to be wise, we are fools. So then 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, we hear these words, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? He has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. A fool is out of touch with reality. And we should know better. And so the writer of the uh, the Proverbs uh, has to tell the sluggard, while you should be be having dominion over the creeping things of the earth, you need to go to those creeping things and learn something. So back now in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, the first passage that was read for us. Look at chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest in poverty. Poverty will come upon you like a robber and once like an armed man. So what is a sluggard? Well, there's some specific characteristics that we find in the Proverbs about a sluggard. Number one, he will not begin things. He will not begin things. Now, this obviously is not an entomological uh, uh, study, but rather the simple observation of an amateur naturalist. The ant doesn't need someone to tell her to get up and gather. She has initiative. She knows the seasons and recognizes that there will be a time, winter and spring, when food will be, ex- when food will be scarce. Uh, the sluggard, on the other hand, recognizes the need 
but just won't begin. Look at verse 9 again. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? The sluggard has no initiative. This is an individual who refuses to commit to a specific time. They sound like this. You know, someday I'm going to. Secondly, she lacks sense. She lacks sense. Look at verse uh, 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Rest, which has its proper place, has now become an excuse for lack of action. This is the individual who is self-deceived, who because she doesn't outright say, I'm not going to do it, believes one day that she will. But as we know, no decision is a decision. What she doesn't realize is that that small excuses of delay, look there again, verse 10, a little, a little, a little, compounds and has tragic results. Tragically, she deceives herself into thinking that, you know, one day I'll do that is enough. Knowing, not knowing that like the summer and fall, slowly slipping away hour by hour, day by day, and before there, verse 11, poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. From the sluggard's point of view, poverty has suddenly unexpectedly come upon her like this uh, robber or like this armed man. But from everyone else's perspective who watch her whittle her days away, poverty is the natural outcome. She lacks sense, out of touch with reality, and she should know better. Third characteristic, Proverbs 10, 26. He is useless to those who employ him. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a slugger to those who send him. It is not as if he is just a neutral participant in the work. That is someone who is just there and doesn't contribute but doesn't really hurt anything. No, he is someone who makes the task more irritatingly challenging. Vinegar irritates the teeth. Smoke in the eyes irritates. The sluggard is the individual whom you invite to help only once. Out of touch with reality, and you should know better. Number four, she's all talk. She's all talk and no action. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. She dreams about, talks about all that she's going to do with her life, all of her dreams. She craves something, but she's just talk. As one commentator wrote, the sluggard lives in this world of wishing, which is his substitute for working. It can ruin him materially and imprison him spiritually, for he can neither command himself nor escape himself. Out of touch with reality and should know better. Five, he is easily dismayed in the face of difficulties. Look at the next proverb, Proverbs 15, 19. 
The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the paths of the upright is a level highway. Now, the key to understanding this verse is understanding the the contrast between the the sluggard and the upright. See, the upright individual is living a life with God at the center, the fear of God. And this results in a person who is fortified for difficulties. Both the sluggard and the upright face difficulties. But as you observe how they handle them, one looks like they're progressing through a hedge of thorns and the other one looks like they're on a highway. The reality is is that we do live in this fallen, broken world. It's filled with difficulties and God doesn't remove the difficulties. But like his own son who had to face the difficulties and fallenness of this world to the point of suffering and even dying on the cross, so he is forming his children in the same exact way. The sluggard fails to take into account the reality of the brokenness so that when in the face of difficulties, he is easily dismayed. Six, she is unteachable. That last passage that we had there, uh, Proverbs 26. Verse 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the street. She gives all kinds of excuses, remotely possible, but most likely improbable. Verse 14, as the door turns on its hinges, you can hear it, so does a sluggard on his bed. Sleep is her preferred state of existence. You know, I'm better in the afternoon. And then the afternoon goes by, you know what, I'm better at night. And night goes by. As commentator Ray Ortland describes her, he writes, she is lazy, constantly making the soft choice, losing one opportunity after another, after another, after another. And then look down to uh, verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is a sobering picture. The the sluggard can hear over and over again the same common sense advice, and she rejects it again and again. In her eyes, she's wise, and so she prides herself in sticking to her guns. The picture is one too common where we tell a loved one simple, clear advice, and they reject it, and so we ask someone else in the family to talk with them, and they do, and she rejects it, and we ask a friend, and we ask someone they admire, and we ask them uh, uh, for a past mentor to come into their life. Time after time, she rejects the common sense counsel, and it becomes a tragic picture. And then finally, seven, he cannot do the simplest of tasks Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wearies him out to bring it back to his mouth. Tragically comedic. Can't even do the simplest of tasks. So these seven characteristics produce these attitudes like entitlement. 
They believe that all the order and fruit that comes with hard work is their right without having to work for it. Or they are entertained. Life is about entertainment. And thus everything is measured by whether or not they are having fun. Or they're indignant of the success of others. They want the success of others, but they don't want to work, and thus they envy and attack the character of those who have the success that they want. Or they're indifferent or unteachable. It's just too much effort to care. So they don't care. Or inattentive to that which is most important. Rather than attending to what needs to be done, they'd rather do what they want to do. They have poor priorities. And last, they're just unable to finish anything out of touch with reality. And they should know better. The fool is out of touch with reality. The reality of the fall is that laziness or sluggishness is our natural bent. To which you may say, well, this doesn't apply to me. I work hard. And I would say that's probably true of the majority of you here this morning. You work hard. You live in a culture that worships work. We live in a place where our identity is found in what we've accomplished. So you're right. You work hard. But God never intended for us to find our identity in our work, but rather the identity already given to us in Christ. So we need to be thinking about those identities when applying these passages. Our real identities that are found in Christ. Family. Not talking about our blood family. I'm talking about our blood-bought family. Through Jesus we believe we are children of God and then brothers and sisters with each other. And as family, we see it our call to personally care for the needs of one another both physically and spiritually. Through missional community and the Sunday gatherings, we disciple and we nourish and hold each other accountable to our covenant life together. Are you sluggish in working out this identity? Inattentive, that is, poor priorities. Always said you were going to join a missional community. I'll do that one day, you say. But your priorities for what you would rather have have gotten in the way. Missionaries. We are sent by God to restore all things to himself. God sent his son, Jesus, to earth to take on human form and to live within the culture. He worked, ate, and interacted among people, living in such a way that those around him could see and experience what God was truly like. And in the same way, 
We believe that we are missionaries sent into our culture to restore all things to God through Jesus. But are you sluggish as a missionary? Perhaps you have an attitude of indifference. You just don't care enough about the spiritual realities of your neighbor and your coworker. Or perhaps it's an inattentive where you would rather do something else. Your priorities are poor. Or perhaps like me, it is a combination of those two together. Servants. We are servants of God who serve others as a way of life. Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. And all those who follow Jesus are called to serve in the same humility. For us, this means joyful submission to God, leadership, and to each other as we serve whomever God brings into our lives. But maybe you've become sluggish in your identity as a servant. Perhaps you feel entitled to do the things the way you want to do things or serve those whom you would rather than those in whom God has brought into your life. Learners. We are disciples of Jesus who take responsibility for our own development and the development of others within this realm. Are you sluggish? Porter Brook is the way in which we intentionally deepen our understanding and application of God's truth. It is designed in a way that anyone from pastors and seminary graduates to new believers hungry for growth can all learn and grow in their discipleship. You will have to give up some entertainment in order to study. So perhaps entertainment is your sluggardly attitude. Maybe it's your own personal devotions you've wanted to start, getting up 30 minutes earlier. So that back to Proverbs chapter 6, uh, look there at verses 9, 9 through 11. Maybe this proverb is for you as you're thinking about your own personal devotions in the morning. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Of which then you answer, verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. To which the verse 11 warns, poverty, spiritual poverty will come upon you like a robber and once like an armed man. So as we think about our identity, no longer is what we do, but rather who we are in Christ. Fellow sluggards, what is and who is our hope? Well, here's the irony of the gospel. What is our hope? Rest. You would think it would be, you need to start working harder. You need to really, you know, pull up your bootstraps now and become a better missionary. Oh no, God says rest. Not sleep. He says rest. What do we do? We rest. And whom do we rest in? Christ. Christ worked in order to save us from our sluggish, destructive self. 
So how is Christ a savior of our sluggish, destructive self? Well, first of all, he worked on your behalf. He upheld the honor of work and perfectly imaged his father. He, he was a carpenter, and he learned and worked a trade. And remarkably, he sat at the feet of his teachers and learned. We have a record of his parents losing track of him, just like we lose track of our children at the mall. They lost track of him in Jerusalem, in the throngs of Jerusalem, only to find him listening to teachers in the temple and asking them questions. And matter of fact, in Hebrews 5.8, we hear these words, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He upheld the honor of work and perfectly imaged his father. He perfectly fulfilled the assignments of his life. John 4, 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then John 17, 4, in his prayer in the garden, he prays, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He perfectly fulfilled the assignments that God had given him. And then finally, he finished the work of the Father on the cross. On the cross, as he completed the work of our salvation, he cried, It is finished! He lived his life. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And now as resurrected Lord, he works on our behalf. <laughs> he upholds the universe. Paul writes in Colossians 1.17, In him all things hold together. And he intercedes on, our, on your behalf. Hebrews 7.25, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. And so God's message to the sluggard, us sluggards here this morning, is He says, I want you to do this. I want you to rest in what Christ has done for you and repent of your lazy ways. And live out the identity I've won for you. I've got work for you. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. He's already got it for you. He's in you through the Holy Spirit. He's calling you to now image forth Jesus Christ. Make Christ known through your identities. So the proper response this morning to laziness in our lives is to turn away from it and turn to Jesus who perfectly imaged the Father by working uh, for us, who died for all of us who fall short in our work and offer us forgiveness and escape from our destructive self and hell itself and transforms us by his spirit into his image, the image of the one who works. So work out your identities as family, missionaries, servants, and learners Bring a little order out of chaos. Fruitfulness out of fruitlessness. Acts of good for others. Work consistently, but not constantly. This is what God is calling you to do this morning. Father, thank you.
Father, I got to the end of the Proverbs and I thought, wow, now we need to really work hard. And you warned me. You warn us. Oh, no. Don't steal my glory. Rest. Father, our prayer here this morning is if there's, no, if there's someone who has not yet rested in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today is the day to rest. Christ, live the life we should have lived and died to death we should have died so that we can rest in him. Father, take the convictions in our hearts of how we have failed to work out the identities. And our prayer, Father, is give us repentance, help us to turn from those Live out the good work that you've already established for us to do in these identities you've given to us that we might be fully authentic human beings that you want us all to be. We thank you. Thank you, Father, for the Lord's Supper reminds us of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the body that was given for us the blood that was shed for the new covenant that you've made with us that establishes the confidence that we have not in ourselves but in you who will save us to the utter end, to the uttermost because we have a Savior who is working on our behalf, interceding even this morning for us. Father, as we enjoy this supper together, remind us of the finished work of Christ once again. We thank you for this great rhythm that you've given to us. Work through it in our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.